Hello, beautiful people. My new play, The Velveteen Rabbit, is now playing in Adventure Theater MTC in Glen Echo. My adaptation of the classic book not only retains all of Marjorie Williams' magic and heart, but expands it theatrically into a world of imagination containing fantastical adventures, singing busts, and a jabberwocky. Go to adventuretheater-mtc.org for tickets and performance information. The Velveteen Rabbit, now playing adventuretheater-mtc.org for tickets and performance information. Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, John Williams. No, not the multi-academy award-winning John Williams. The far superior John Williams. The John Williams who's a patron of the original cast. Thank you, John. Thank you for becoming a patron of the original cast. Do you want to get thanked on the air of this podcast? Just go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod and toss some cash at the original cast. There are several tiers of patronage, but they all come with access to our bonus monthly podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. October's movie is Purple Rain with journalist Chris Klimek and actress-journalist Rachel Mantufel. November's movie is All That Jazz with Amanda Zeitler and Heather C. Jackson. And December's movie is a surprise. I'm not going to tell you it's a big surprise. It's not a very big surprise, but it's, a, it's kind of a surprise. It's really good. It's a good one. You really want to get in there. Patreon.com slash OriginalCastPod. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is an author and former dancer. It's Kevin Winkler, everybody. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Kevin, how you doing? Hi, great. Great Good. to be with you. Great to be here with you, too, on this rainy, rainy morning. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it, it's not raining hard enough yet. It's the romantic kind of rain. It's currently. just kind of dreary. But yeah. Well, I love this. This is New York at its most New Yorkish. Yes, there you go. That's good. <laughs> I like that. And um, you're here for several reasons, but primarily the conceit for the podcast is you're here to talk about Sweet Charity. A miniature walked in the joint. I could see you were a man of distinction, a real big spender. Good looking, so refined. Say, wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? So let me get right to the point. I don't pop my cork for every guy I see. So, Kevin, you wrote a book. You've written several books, actually, I think, right? Or a few books? A couple no, books? I've edited a couple of books, okay. and I've contributed, but this is the first book this I've written. This is the first book you've actually... Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so it's called Big Deal, and it is a uh, thorough biography of Bob <laughs> Fosse, I would say. So instead of starting first with Sweet Charity, I would ask, like to ask you, why Bob Fosse? Um... I've always been. I was always drawn to his work. Uh, I loved his work. I don't know any dancer who doesn't mm. love his work. There's um, a stylization to his choreography, a kind of showoffy quality to it that um, that I think dancers are drawn to uh, uh, intrinsically. Um, his his dancing also wasn't. There wasn't a, a an element of sentimentality or or. Uh, romance, to use a uh, to use an overused word, mm. there wasn't romance and sentimentality in his work. It 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 had a it had an astringent quality to it, and uh, the astringency um, uh, was there in in just the way he moved bodies. They were uh, angular and uh, off center slightly, um, and I was draw- I was drawn to that. He he um, he seemed to to work. To the uh, the strengths of the dancers that he that he had at his disposal, mm-hmm. um, and there was just a there was a kind of a clear eyed smart ass 
quality about his work mm-hmm. that that I that I was instinctively drawn to. Hmm. Okay, and so then now I will get specific a little bit. Why of of all the Fosse we could have talked about, uh, why Sweet Charity? What did what was Sweet Charity that makes you kind of? Well, Sweet Charity may be my favorite Fosse show. Oh, really? Okay. Um, I mean, there are, it has a lot of competition among the sure. other shows that he did, obviously. But um, it was also the first time I had uh, any, um, uh, the first time I had really experienced his work was the movie okay. version of Sweet Charity. For some reason, I don't know why, I had I had lots of cast recordings as a, as a kid, as mm-hmm. a teenager, but I never had the Sweet Charity cast recording. So the first time I experienced Sweet Charity was seeing the movie with mm-hmm. Shirley MacLaine. Um and I remember that I loved movie musicals. I loved movie musicals with lots of dancing mm-hmm. in them. And if you remember, you're probably too young. You're, you probably weren't even born then. But the late 60s sure, I was, not born. was a kind of a halcyon period for movie musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the success of Sound of Music and Mary Poppins and My Fair Lady, the movie studios went all in on big budget um, major studio releases of films. Uh, film musicals, many of which were adaptations of Broadway shows. Mm. And I saw all those. Uh, Funny Girl, Oliver, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Star with Julie Andrews, uh, Finian's Rainbow, mm. uh, on and on and on. Um, so, uh, but Sweet Charity, it looked and it felt different to me than sure. other movie musicals. Uh, and I couldn't put my finger on it as a as a teenager, but... Um, I've I've thought about the film over and over, you know, in the <laughs> 50 years yes. since I saw it. It's its 50th anniversary right. this year. Yeah. Um, and I think there are a couple of things that um, uh, that made it feel immediate to me. One was um, his approach to uh, uh, the musical numbers. Um, Fosse said at the time that he was making the film, he said, I want to I want to take the camera and make it one of the dancers. I want, mm. to, I want to get inside the dance. And he said that more than once. He said, I want to get inside the dance. And uh, uh, when you see the movie, you can see what he means by that. Um, uh, he puts the camera behind the dancers, up above the dancers, over to the side. He takes it down and shoots their feet. He, he just brings the, the camera to new places that a lot of other uh, directors of movie musicals didn't do. He was very influenced by uh, John Huston's film, Moulin Rouge, the real Moulin Rouge, <laughs> as I call it. Um, uh, you know, and, and John Huston wasn't a, uh, a dancer or a choreographer. Right. But it, And have you ever seen that film? I have not, no. Um, uh, it's... It, it's about Toulouse Lautrec, mm-hmm. the the French artist, and uh, it takes place in the Montmartre, Montmartre district district of Paris, uh, the cabaret the cabarets um, uh, of that of that district, and uh, uh, Houston just took the camera right into the middle of all the cabaret dancers, and he captured uh, a flick of a wrist or a or a kick of the foot or a the side of someone's face where you could see makeup traces or perspiration. Mm-hmm. He really got the the essence of performance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most movie musicals shot their, their dance sequences in what I call the Fred Astaire mode. Sure. Where the figure... Lock down the camera. The figure is, is captured full frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, do, uh, you don't do any inserts, very, very judicious editing, yeah. and you cut the... You do the editing right on the beat of the music, and Houston disrupted that. Um, and he had, he would do long tracking shots where he would follow a dancer as she ran to do the splits and things mm-hmm. like that. And Fosse said he was very influenced by that film. He mm-hmm. he cited it a number of times. Um, so the the dance numbers in Sweet Charity don't look like dance numbers in yeah. any other movies of that period. Um, uh, his his compositions, his groupings of bodies, uh, his use of lighting, uh, his camera placement, his use of editing, all of this, you know, came together to make the the dances intensely dramatic. Mm-hmm. And it gave them a kind of emotional um, underpinning that 
I don't think they had, or not to that, not to the extent that they had uh, in the film on stage. Hmm. I think the the film dances have a, a greater emotional intensity than the dances in the stage version of Sweet Charity. That's interesting. I mean, Fosse was always. I mean, he started it didn't start at MGM, but he was at MGM as a dancer mm-hmm. for many years, and so it was always around. So he's only there a couple of years. Oh, okay, couple, couple of years. years. Um, but, but was interested in cinema and language, and as you talk mm-hmm. about in the book, there was a lot of cinema language in the book of the musical Sweet Charity mm-hmm. with her entrance, like you say, with the iris opening. Yes. And that iconic pose of Gwen Verdon's. Um, he was very interested in sort of blending cinema language onto the stage, and so... It, it makes good sense that when he started making movies, he would really have a good sense of, of how to do it. I was impressed. Something I didn't know about him making Sweet Charity, which you cover in the book, is how much he watched other movies and took oh, yeah. copious notes yeah. on what not only what he liked, but what he really didn't like. And making giant <laughs> notes. I mean, his notes on the West Side Story film are fascinating yeah, um, and very positive. But I can't remember... Well, he, the, uh, you know, uh, he he put sort of put under a, under the heading "Don't let this happen to you." Right. Uh, the movie version of Gypsy. That was what it was. Yes. Yeah. He was very concerned with. Um, Which was good. I mean, that's yeah, a good thought. <laughs> it, he was he was kind of right on about oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very concerned with the transition from spoken dialogue yes. into song. Yeah. And he was that way on stage as well, and um, um, well, let me back up and sure. just say he. It was fascinating to me when I was working with his papers down at the Library of Congress, his personal papers and mm-hmm. business records, um, all of the material that he had on his research before he started doing the film, Sweet Charity. Uh, this was his first film mm-hmm. as a director, of course. And um, he didn't want it to, he didn't want to direct it in the older style of movie musicals, like the ones that he had danced in and choreographed sure. in the 50s, like Kiss Me Kate and My Sister Eileen. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, before he started filming, he moved into a screening room and just started watching movies. Right. Um, and um, not all of, actually very few of them were movie musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very influenced by West Side Story um, and, and Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins' ability to kind of time shift, or not time shift, but, but transition from dialogue into... Uh, dance and spoken word, or dance and and uh, song. Um, he was on color. There's a lot of notes about color. It was just sort of. Like, I like those notes. The where dance like, of the, the dance gym. Of the gym, like red. How? How did he do that? <laughs> yeah, how, yeah, yeah. How did he do that? Uh, and there's a thing where, um, you know, at the beginning of West Side Story, the Jets are all over, seemingly all over town, but yeah. they're just in their neighborhood. But um, he made a note about how um, the dancers would start a leap in one location, and they'd mm-hmm. f- end Land. the leap in a different location. Yeah. And uh, he did, Fosse used that a lot. He used that a lot in the uh, the number I'm a Brass Band, mm-hmm. which goes all over New York. It's sort of a travelogue of right. New York City. Um, but he also, uh, you look, he was interested in um, uh, the new ways that people were using the camera to, mm-hmm. to tell a, a story in cinema. Um, he was very influenced by Richard Lester's films with the Beatles, mm-hmm. Hard Day's Night and Help. Um, he, um, he screened f- films by his friend Stanley Donnan, yeah. uh, Charade. And, and not the musicals. That was not the musicals. Me. Not the musicals, but yeah, movies like Charade, which is Charade, a tremendous movie. Uh, uh, a movie that a lot of people have forgotten now called Arabesque, yeah. um, which was sort of a... It was sort of a follow-up to charade. It was yeah. done in much the same style. Um, lots of lots of fancy camera angles and kind of cinematic tricks. Yes. Um, and he was also influenced by Mike Nichols' film *The Graduate*. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, he so much so that he um, uh, he really insisted that Universal hire Robert Surtees, who was the director of photography on *The Graduate*, to film *Sweet Charity*. Mm. Um, uh, so he he was taking he was taking um, influences from all over and then sifting them through his own personal prism mm-hmm. uh, to get at the look and the feel of of uh, of Sweet Charity. Another thing that uh, that I've been thinking about a lot lately. It wasn't in the book because the book is really a book about um, his art, mm-hmm. his life as yes. an artist, yes. not not necessarily a biography. Right, um, but. 
so I didn't include this in the book, but my personal perspective about the, the film, as, I, as I've come to think about it over the years, um, that film was also meaningful to me um, in a real personal way because as a gay teenager, mm-hmm. um, I very much related to the character of Charity. Mm. Um, she was someone who um, uh, existed on, or she operated on the margins mm-hmm. of respectability, on the um, on the fringes of acceptability, she had to keep what she did uh, a secret. Yeah, it's true. In order to you know, in order to um, fall in love with Oscar, or in order for him to accept her, she had to not tell him things about herself. Um, and so, I think in in that way, I think uh, to use a to use a um, uh, a contemporary term, the movie was queer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The story is queer. Um, uh, And, you know, you could expand that. I I won't do it, but you could expand (laughs) it to say that a a lot of Fosse's work is queer Mm -hmm. um, because it, it involves, um, it involves people who are, are kind of outside the mainstream, Sally Bowles. I was going to say Cabaret alone. Cabaret alone is like that. Um, uh, Dorothy Stratton and her husband in Star 80. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Lenny Bruce and and his wife Honey and Mm -hmm. and Lenny and so forth and so on. So um, I think there's a case to be made for that. Sure. Um, um, And I'm sure that was never on the mind of Fosse or any of the people who put Sweet Charity together, but reception is personal. Sure. You know, your reception of, 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 of a piece of art is, is personal. But anyway, there was a, there's a, a, a queer element to it, and it really spoke to me. I don't think I could have put this in words as a teenager seeing sure. the movie, but it really spoke to me as a gay teen who was struggling with all kinds of things. And I remember the, the scene um, where Charity uh, decides she's going to tell Oscar yeah. about herself. Uh, and they meet at a, a restaurant, and she can't look at him. Uh, so they sit in in back to back booths, right. and she tells him uh, about herself. When I when I first came out to, to someone really important to me, I couldn't look her in the face. Mm-hmm. I had to I had to turn my back and uh, and say that to her. So I always wondered after the fact. I wonder if I got the idea to do that <laughs> from that scene <laughs> from in Sweet, Sweet Charity. Charity. Hmm. So um, so anyway, Sweet Charity had a the film just had an emotional tug, mm-hmm. uh, to me anyway, that other movie musicals just didn't have. Hmm. The other thing that was interesting about the movie was, as a teenager, I thought Shirley MacLaine looked really old in the mm. movie. And she looked, she had pasty white skin. She yeah. looked like she never went outside. Um you know, I wanted to I wanted to give her a good meal and fatten her up and give her some vitamin D. Sure. Um and of course, now you know. Later, I discovered she was only about thirty-four or thirty-five. I was say, yeah. She was young, um, but I think uh, I think it's um, I think that's also an important point about Charity. I, I think the film, or I think the I think the show, Sweet Charity, has a, a deeper emotional resonance when that character is played by someone a little older. Well, and Gwen Verdon was. She was she forty-one, right? When, when, and you know, forty-one. In 1966 is a lot different than 41 yeah. in 2019. Well, she was a grandmother, right? Wasn't that one of the she was a grandmother? She had a baby very young, very young, right? You know, and, and, teenager. That, and that son had just had a baby. had just yeah, had a baby. Right. So right. She was a young grandmother. <laughs> well, um, Fosse said that she. I mean, if you look at her on the cover, I mean, she looks fabulous. She looks fabulous. <laughs> oh, she looks fabulous. You know, she 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 looks fabulous. She's only like a year older than me in that picture. Is that and right? Yeah, really? And I don't look that good. But yeah, I mean, it's. It's remarkable to think that she was because Fosse is one of those guys who he looked old before he was old. I mean, his hair yeah. thins. He lost and he his also, hair very early, and he did a lot of things to try to look younger, which only made him look older. And but so by the time he got to like the sort of Bob Fosse caricature of uh, of all that jazz, he looks like I mean, he's a man who's lived a life and he had and was continuing to at that period of time. I mean, nineteen seventy six Bob Fosse is about as lived in as you possibly get. And you know, in seven, when he had his heart attack in 74, yeah. he was only, uh, he was 49. I was going to say, he wasn't. He was, oh no, he was, no, he was 47. Yeah. I'm, 
that's kind of mind boggling. Yeah. He really looked like he he led a rough life. You know, he well, he, he burned his I candle mean, he, at both ends. He really did. He certainly oh burned his candle at both yeah. ends. But one interesting thing about uh, uh, Verdon mm-hmm. at her age when she did charity was that um, Fosse said she was the perfect age for it because she was old enough to understand the character, but she, her bo- she was young enough that her body could do yeah. what it needed to do. I like that quote film. a lot. Yeah. And you know, um, when I was working on the book, I interviewed Anne Ryan King and um, we well, were talking to, about, right? <laughs> you'd have to, <laughs> you have to, that was a must. She was on my, you know, top on my list. Be, of guests. It'd be amazing if you didn't. That I know. <laughs> I know. I would have been a failure be, if I hadn't been able to get a hold of her. A daring choice. <laughs> anyway, we but were yeah. talking about, we were, when I was talking to her, we were talking about Chicago and of course she did Chicago. She played Roxy Hart. Yeah in her 20s, mm-hmm. and then she played it again in her 40s. Right. And, of course, she has put many women into the show over the years uh, that it's been running. Um, and uh, she said, um, she said, it works well if you have a young mm-hmm. Roxy. It works well if you have an older Roxy. But she said, with an older Roxy, there's more at stake. Yeah. So if, you're, if you're a young Roxy and this doesn't work out for you, all right, you'll go on and do something else. If you're an older Roxy and this doesn't work out for you, then what do you what else do? is there? What yeah. else is there? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you just go back to working, like in a laundry, the way, uh, the way Beulah Annans, the real Roxy Hart, right. the uh, the uh, prototype or the the, ba- the real the life person yeah. mm-hmm. who was the basis for the, that character, which is what she was before um, mm-hmm. before um, uh, her trial and so forth. So what do you do? So that. That gives there's there's uh there's something more at stake mm-hmm. when when someone's a little older. Yeah. And as know. Verdon was when she played Roxy Hart in the original Broadway production. And yeah. also Cheetah Rivera. I mean these were these were yeah. women who were not objectively older, but were for dancers in the theater yeah. at that time, yeah. especially. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, can yeah. you believe they're still doing it. Which is more than a little insulting, but because uh, they were both doing it and doing it so well. <laughs> if you're well trained, if you mm-hmm. have good strong technique, mm-hmm. you can dance. You can dance well and uh, with authenticity mm-hmm. um, to the age where they were dancing. Cheetah Rivera was several years younger than, yes. than Gwen Verdon. Yes, Gwen Verdon was fifty when she did uh, Chicago, right. um, and I I saw the show. Um, uh, when it when it first opened in, oh, in 1975, really? um, oh, wow. and I was you know it was thrilling. Yeah. Oh, it was thrilling. Um, I remember distinctly thinking that she didn't have that much challenging dancing to do mm-hmm. in the show. What I remember most about her was how funny she was. Mm-hmm. She was incredibly funny, mm-hmm. and of course she wore this big red curly wig. Um, she looked. She was to me. She was like a singing dancing Lucille Ball. Sure. Which was high, which was the highest compliment I could pay her. Sure. Um, uh, she was just, it was a real knockabout, big um, uh, musical comedy performance mm-hmm. uh, that was thrilling. And it, it hit me right in the, you know, the top of the balcony, which is all I could afford. Right. We should probably, though, for people who may not know, because Sweet Charity is one of those musicals, I think, that everybody has heard of and could probably name one or two songs from, mm-hmm. but I don't know how many people have actually seen it or know the story of it. So for those who don't know, do you think you could summarize the plot of Sweet sure. Charity? Well, the, the the musical is based on um, Fellini's film, Knights of Cabiria, mm-hmm. um, uh, about a, a little uh, Roman uh, prostitute who is, uh, is uh, kind of unlucky in love or... or uh, very gullible. She's tough and streetwise, but she's very gullible um, in terms of of her of her personal feelings. And um, she falls in with the wrong men. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was Fosse's original idea to adapt the show uh, and Americanize it and turn the little Roman prostitute into. Uh, New York City taxi dancer. It's interesting. Taxi dancers and dance halls were really on their way out yeah. when Fosse uh, created the show. Vernon Fosse started mm-hmm. doing the adaptation. Uh, there were a few left in the Times Square area, but they really kind of passed their prime right. at that time. And uh, um, so he... Well, he they Amer- kind of blur the line 
both Dorothy Fields, Neil Simon, and Fosse between taxi dancing and, and what else might be going on. Yeah, the, the, well, the what day. they say, I think, um, I think um, they called it in the the script for Sweet Charity. They called it the extracurricular trade. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they transferred to to uh, to New York, mm-hmm. um, uh, and this is a taxi. The taxi dancer Charity Hope Valentine, who again is is tough and um, kind of a feisty New Yorker, but who's in, in extremely gullible mm-hmm. and um, uh, soft, yeah, hard on the outside, soft mm-hmm. on the inside. Um, and the, the bulk of the show is about her romance with what she thinks is, is the guy, mm-hmm. the guy who is going to love her, is going to kind of take her away from this life, help her escape this life. And... Um, and then, of course, she find, she discovers that that's not really the case, uh, and that and she's disappointed once again. Mm-hmm. But the the brilliance of the character is that she she has an inner resilience, an inner strength uh, that allows her to move forward, mm-hmm. and and that's exactly what she does. Of course, you know, in in the movie, um, uh, it the movie ends as the the show ended with a kind of a bittersweet ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people may not know that Fosse actually shot a, sec- a second ending mm-hmm. for the film version. Right. Um, a happy that, ending. Was that the same as the the Las Vegas ending, as it might be known, when they took the show to... The, oh, you're good. Re- you <laughs> you really read the book. You really read that chapter. Yeah. Um, when, the, when the show was still playing on Broadway, um, they did a, uh, a Las Vegas production mm-hmm. with Juliet Prowse right. at Caesar's Palace. That was a big, big hit. Right. And it was, was kind of bridged one act. It was like a 90-minute, yeah, minute minute one-act version of the show. And they appended a happy ending to the show. I never could figure out what it was, what the yes, happy exactly. ending was. That's so funny, yeah. Uh, there was nothing in his and papers. You say in the book it was something that was in consideration, possibly for the Broadway production that was rejected. So there was a little blurb in Variety or one of the papers mm-hmm. saying that, uh, Sweet Charity's a big hit in Las Vegas uh, with a happy ending, and there's talk that they may append the yeah, happy the ending, ending to, to the Broadway, Broadway show. show. They didn't. Right. You know, the, the, ending, uh, the ending of Sweet Charity was always a problem. Sure. Um, and I think there's a kind of an inherent um, tension in the material between the uh, a real uh, stark the real stark drama of charity and Kabiria's life and the demands of a razzle dazzle song and dance Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. It you you're almost you know. We almost expect, we almost demand that this woman we've been through all this with uh, during the course of the show gets the guy, right. gets a happy ending. She mm-hmm. deserves it. And Fosse wanted to s- stay closer to the Fellini ending, right. which is very well, it's bleak. Yeah. It's <laughs> extremely bleak. And yet, it you know, uh, she comes to the brink of disaster, and then she she again pulls herself up through her indomitable spirit mm-hmm. and her own personal resilience. And Fosse, I think, wanted that. Mm-hmm. His original drafts for the, the, the show were very dark. Yeah. And, I mean, really dark. And uh, 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 much closer to the, much closer to, to Knights of Kabiria and much closer to the ending mm-hmm. of the Fellini film. Um, and when Neil Simon came on, uh, to revise the book and actually took took uh, full credit for it eventually, um, they they fudged it a little bit. The ending mm-hmm. the ending in the show that opened on Broadway was kind of smart ass, yeah. and it kind of to me it kind of made a joke of charity. Um, so I think for the movie they wanted to go back to uh, they wanted to go back to an ending that was a little closer to the Fellini original, um, and. Uh, and in fact, the the ending that was in the finished film um, is very much reminiscent of the last shot in Charlie Chaplin's uh, mm-hmm. City Lights, yeah. where he kind of disappears into the big city. Um, but there were uh, I could talk about this all day. There were there were <laughs> like a half a dozen different endings mm-hmm. written for the movie. There's some wild, crazy things. Do you want to hear? Sure. Okay. Well, one of the endings was. Um, um, that uh, Charity and Oscar 
they're engaged. They go down to the marriage. Li- they're going to go to the marriage license bureau and be married. They're going to uh, they are going to buy a gas station and a little house in New Jersey, and that's where they're going to go and live and work. So just before they go to the the marriage license bureau, uh, Charity gives Oscar all her money. She empties her bank account, gives him all the money. He's going to go make the down payment on the gas station in the house and meet her at the marriage license bureau. I think I see where this is going. Right. So there she sits at the marriage license bureau. No Oscar. The place closes. She has to leave. She goes to try to find him at the apartment where he says he lives. There's no sign that he ever lived there. She goes to his office where he worked. They never heard of him. Oh, my gosh. So she was totally catfished. Oh, my gosh. Is that the right word? Catfish. Yeah, kind catfish. Of, yeah, yeah. She was catfish. Yeah, yeah. She was catfish. So, I mean, talk about slit your wrist. Jeez, Man. that's dark. Yeah. So that, that, was one of, that was one of the first <laughs> endings. They did. Uh, then there was an ending where um, he, uh, in, in the final film, uh, he gets cold feet at the Marriage License Bureau and right. has to li- and leaves her. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, and leaves her. Um, uh, one of the endings um, uh, was uh, where he leaves her at the marriage license bureau. Then he thinks better of it. So he goes back to the Fandango ballroom to try to find her, Charity and, mm-hmm. and marry her. He gets into a fight with Herman, the manager right. of the of the ballroom. Uh, they get into a fist fight. Nikki and Helene, her two friends from the ballroom, break it up. They regroup and say, well, let's fan out across the city and try to find Charity. So they go to uh, Oscar does find her sitting um, uh, by next to the bridge in Central Park right. where um, where she was first thrown into the water at the beginning of the show. And they uh, they decide to get married. The next scene, um, Charity, Oscar, Herman, Nikki and Helene all go to the marriage license bureau downtown. Mm-hmm. They go in, they get married. Um, Oscar and Charity get into an elevator to go down the floor <laughs> and they get stuck, stuck which is exactly yeah. how they met in the first place. And instead of being claustrophobic the way he was when, when Charity first met him, the ele- he's now happy. Hmm. Uh, he's now happy and he's kicking up his heels and it ends in a freeze frame oh. with him kicking up her heels. Like that, that yeah, ending. I kind of like, like that. Ending. Yeah, so the ending that they ended up shooting, the happy ending they ended up shooting was um, him leaving her at the marriage license bureau, him coming home to his apartment, realizing that it's not that he 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 was wrong, that mm-hmm. he wants her after all, and he runs to out to Central Park to try to find her at the uh, the the bridge, right. the, the pond, and. Um, uh, just as he's running to get her, he knocks her into the pool, knocks her into <laughs> the, the water. water. Yeah. So he jumps in. Oh, okay. He jumps in after her, and they hug and kiss. Okay. And and that's the end. I like that. Too. I like that ending yeah, too. I like yeah. That ending too. Yeah. 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 So they he went back and forth about the endings for the longest time, yeah. Fosse, and finally he ended up um, going with the the more bittersweet ending. Right. Um, but the if you if you happen to get the new 4K. 50th anniversary restoration uh, Blu-ray that just came out. It includes the alternate version. Oh, that's nice. The alternate ending, right? Like restored and ready. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 It's a, you're very candid in the book with how, and one of the things I really liked about it is the, with the show that you clearly enjoy and love has a lot of writing problems that never, ever really gets solved. Um, you talk a lot about stakes, which I appreciate greatly, about how the, they lowered the stakes from the film, and then Neil Simon kind of lowered them a little bit more to keep the musical comedy-ness of it going. And as a result, there are certain moments in the show where it kind of tries to have it both ways and ends up, you end up having nothing. That's why, I, that's why, as much as I love the show, that's why I think Sweet Charity is not a top-ranked musical. Mm-hmm. I think it's a second or third tier musical yeah the the score is fantastic yeah you know it's really a spectacular score and it fits the it fits uh but there's like i said before there's an inherent tension in the the source material Mm -hmm. and the demands of a big brassy musical comedy that never entirely um that never entirely get resolved yeah um so and it wasn't really, I mean, it was a hit, but it wasn't a show that ran 
without Gwen Verdon. That was something I didn't quite realize. That was really interesting yeah. to me when I when I was doing the research. Uh, I just always thought, well, Charity was a big, big hit. Right, and ran and for 600 some performances, some performances, which at the time was huge. It was and, big. And, yeah, yeah. It was about a year and a half. Right. The show, um, a couple things about it. The show was budgeted at about $395,000, right. which is... Which was well, nothing now, but at the time... Was right now, large. that would be like the lunch, the lunch right. budget... <laughs> For Moulin Rouge, sure. Um, or something. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, it covers parking. It covers parking for King Kong, <laughs> right? Oh, um, so, um, it was three hundred ninety-five thousand dollars, which at the time was sort of on the high end of normal, sure, high end yes. of an yeah. average range. And I, I also greatly appreciate that in the book you frequently do compare, like, well, just so you guys, like, you say this musical cost that much money. A comparable musical at the time cost about to give you a sense of what has, of where we had come at cost. that point. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but actually, by the time the uh, the a full accounting uh, was made, the, sh- the show ended up costing about a half a million dollars to to get on, which was which was high, which yeah. is big oh, for yeah, that yeah. time. The show sold really well. It was a big hit, and it sold well while Gwen Verdon was in the show. She uh, had a number of extended absences. Right. Uh, for the show, you know, it's a grueling, it's, it's a yeah, grueling absolutely. role. It's a tough role, and she was out for uh, a number uh, for some extended periods of time. Uh, and when she was out, the box office completely collapsed. Right. Uh, Helen Gallagher, who was in the show and played Helene, uh, was her standby. Yeah. And so Helen Gallagher would go on for, and again, uh, through no through no fault of Helen Gallagher's, it just didn't sell yeah. when she. When Verdon wasn't there. Well, and then eventually when she replaced Gwen Verdon, and they said it's going to close in August, and then it had to close. So she left in June, June 67. Mm -hmm. In June of 67, uh, the show had been running a year and a half, and um, Verdon had to go into the hospital for a medical procedure. So they decided she would leave the show permanently, and Helen Gallagher would take over and run the show from, I don't know, June till Labor Day. Yeah. And uh, and they were going to do a whole. They did a new ad campaign with mm-hmm. Helen Gallagher and so forth. They brought they brought uh, reviewers back in to mm-hmm. review the show with Gallagher, and they thought they'd get a little bump and ride it out through the summer. Instead, I think it lasted about three weeks yeah. with Gallagher, and it closed. And it closed. The interest. The other interesting thing I uh, that I learned from again from Fosse's papers was uh, the producers Fry and Car- Fryer Carr and Harris. Uh, were not in favor of sending the show out in a national tour. Hmm. They said, if you can't get Verdon to do it or a comparable star, it's not going to make sense financially, and Verdon wasn't going to go out with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they said they were not in favor of a first-class national tour. Fosse really insisted on this. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, but So they did mount a first-class national tour and a Cheetah Rivera went sure. out as Charity. Helen Gallagher went out as Helene. Thelma Oliver, who was the original... Um, uh, uh, Nikki. I've got him backwards. Uh, the the, the uh, Thelma Oliver was the original Helene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Helen Gallagher was the original mm-hmm. Nikki. They went out with the, with the show. A lot of the dancers from the Broadway company went out. This went out in the fall of 1967. And it did spectacular spectacularly yeah. bad business. Yeah. Um, and there was a series of, there was a series of letters in Fosse's papers that were really interesting um, about him back and forth between him. And I think it was um, Harris, one of the producers um, and um, Harris. I don't remember the, the context of the letter, but Harris said, it was your idea to do the national tour. We told you we didn't think this made sense. And unfortunately, we were right. He right. said the show has been, uh, I don't know, I think a disaster. The tour has been a disaster. And we lost everything that we made mm-hmm. from the Broadway show. So um, it's interesting. So you, you think of Sweet Charity as a big hit, yeah. but it, it, it really was on the margins in terms of its profitability. Yeah. Well, it does have a classic Broadway song or two. In, I mm-hmm. mean, Big Spender being the, the big oh, yeah. one that like, everybody knows and pops up in cabarets and dance recitals. And everybody all the does time. that. Um, and Rich Man's Frug is something yeah. that people know. I think it's fun of like all Broadway dance instrumental numbers. It's probably the most famous, I would say.
love that story in the book of how he came up with the rich man's for going to the oh the clubs like Arthur yeah, and the Peppermint Loud you know, these older people thinking they right. were swinging it around like right. kids and, and yeah just, yeah that's a really fun and then when you know that looking at that dance and going yep that's exactly what <laughs> that is that's yeah. pretty that, yeah. that's sort of very stoic and, and out of step but still very fossy angular movement yeah it's just it's so wonderful it's, I love the rich man's fruit yeah um, I just did a quick little calculation while we were talking uh, according to the internet uh, $325,000 which was the budget uh, in today's money would be about two and a half million mm-hmm. um, and since you brought it up yes King Kong Yes. Uh, $35 million was the budget. Is that what? King, that, yeah, yeah, I knew it was something astronomical. So, um, yes, this article is entitled King Kong on Broadway is a $35 million crime against puppets. <laughs> so, uh, in any of I'll it, drink to that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, and one for Mahler. We, uh, but in, so in, in any event, I mean, it was, it, it is funny to think about like how expensive or not expensive these shows were at the time. Um, and so, but this, the, 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 so what is the, when you think about the legacy of this show slash movie, is it is it more? Do you think the the legacy is more in the film and then what that led to in Fosse's career, or is it more the state what what the stage show did, you know, for the Broadway theater going forward? Well, just taking the show, mm-hmm. um, it was really the first Sweet Charity was really the first show that you might call a Bob Fosse musical. Yeah. I'm doing air quotes here. Right. Uh, Bob Fosse musical. Uh, because he had the original idea to do it. Um, he wrote uh, several drafts of the original book mm-hmm. before turning it over to Neil Simon. Cy Coleman and Dorothy Fields wrote their song specifically to the song slots that Fosse had created mm-hmm. in his script. Um, it has some of his most... Um, recognizable and iconic choreography. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars one of the great, uh, one of the great figures of musical comedy, yeah. uh, Gwen Verdon, and great Fosse collaborators, and great Fosse, yeah. and, and, and great muses Fosse. essentially yeah. his muse. Right. Um, so it's it's a it's a major show in those terms. Um, I, I as I mentioned in the book, um, Sweet Charity. Uh, opened at the very beginning of 1966, yeah. and you might, you might, if you stretch the, if you stretch the definition a little bit, you might call it one of the first concept musicals, mm-hmm. because Fosse um, um, really used dance and movement to drive the story. Yeah. The script, if you if you look at the script, the script is almost like a series of of uh, sketches, especially the first act. Is, Especially the first act. Yeah, it's a series of she meets this guy, they spend some time together, he dumps her. And then dumps he her. Just, yeah, repeat, onto repeat, the next. repeat until she meets Oscar in the elevator. Right. That's in, the end of the first great act. Neil Simon book scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is, and then the uh, at the end of that calendar year, the end of 1966, Hal uh, Prince's cabaret opened. Yeah. Which many people think of as the kind of the starting point for the the contemporary uh, yeah. concept musical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a little lineage there. And I think you could, you could, you could wrap sweet charity into the larger discussion of well, the concept musical. And it's also important the sixties and seventies to, to remember that we, we tend to view things as these like watershed moments. So you tend to think like cabaret is the first concept musical. And then, like company, right. is the is the next the the first what would we call it plotless musical as people have called that. And where, while these were big successes that mark a clear line, um, and it was the success of them that made them popular, it is a, a trend. Things are moving in that direction. A lot of people are thinking about these things, and these these people like Hal Prince or Stephen Sondheim aren't creating these ideas out of whole cloth. It's what's in the air. They mm-hmm. may be pushing the boat out further, yeah, but. It's where we are. Like, this is what the good, creative, interesting people are doing. And if you're watching theater, as all those people were, you can go, oh, that's neat what they did in Sweet Charity. Maybe we can do yeah. that over here. Exactly. With what we're talking about with this yeah. property. And that's how these things evolve and move and change. And We like to think of, we like to, uh, we like to categorize things and put them into neat little piles. Yeah. But in fact, there are no piles. Everything's messy. all yeah, messed yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's kind of mixed together. But... Uh, what Fosse was able to do with Sweet Charity, he then built on for his much more his much more conceptually based musicals in the seventies, like yeah. Pippin and Chicago, 
who are oh, okay. definitely who yes, definitely that very, definitely very... fall into the concept musical. It's also the thing. first instance I, I realized in your book of there's a the famous story of uh Kander Neb writing Razzle Dazzle is that um <laughs> I don't remember if it was Fred Ebb told John Kander the other way around to add finger snaps in because he knew Fosse would like it and they'd kind of get off their case about it a little bit. It's the first instance of that though you mentioned in the book that when they were gonna add they needed to add a, a number in act one for Gwen Verdon and Neil Simon wrote the scene of the movie star bringing out the props, and the props he brings out is a top hat and a cane. Right, right. And Neil Simon knew if he did that, they'd be able to stage a dance around it. It right. is the first instance of that, of sort of writing to what Fosse yeah. was demanding. If they could see me now, alone with Mr. V, who's waiting on me like he was a mater D, I hear my body saying, crazy what gives, tonight she's living like half lives to think the highest brow which i must say is he should pick the lowest brow which there's no doubt is me what a step up holly cow they'd never believe it if my friends could see me now I mean, he tormented writers famously I, in you know stephen schwartz being the probably the oh. biggest example of a of a tormented yeah. uh, a tormented yeah. writer yeah. um that he ever worked with uh, but it was, you know, he had a, a way he wanted it done. He had a vision of what to do. And it's funny to see that this early that somebody like Neil Simon, who's a very smart writer, and isn't, he's not quite Neil Simon yet. He had done Come Below Your Horn, I believe, but not, like, Odd Couple oh, no, still the he, next year. And it, no, well, he, Odd Couple. He, was he? Okay. Um, or was uh, Odd Couple 65? Come Below Your Horn, uh, Barefoot in the Park. Barefoot in the Park, that's what I forgot. The first that. Broadway show I ever saw. Barefoot in the Park? With um, Robert Redford and Jane Fonda? But wow. Robert Redford and actually I saw oh, no, it with, Jane Fonda's in the movie. It's um, um, well Elizabeth Ashley originated. Yeah, yeah. I saw she had left by the time I saw it. Um, I saw it with Penny Fuller. Oh, wow, yeah. that's a good replacement. I know. Yeah, yeah, oh, she yeah. was great. Oh, she was great too. Yeah, yeah. I actually met her uh, about a year ago, and I told her that I had seen. Oh, I wow. think she was completely nonplussed that there was anyone <laughs> you know I don't know still alive who actually saw that. She said, "You, you." What? You saw, saw that? that? <laughs> but, um, um, oh, that's no, but no, Neil Simon was, was big time stuff at this time. I think there's a story in the book. I think I put this in the book where mm-hmm. he says, um, um, Fosse hated ballads. Yes. And he said to Cy Coleman, this has to be a ballad, but can you make it up tempo? make it up tempo. I love that. <laughs> that is so nice. And there's another story. I didn't include this in the book, um, but, um, Coleman, Cy Coleman always, um, he said, I read somewhere where he said, um, Fosse wanted more rhythm. He always wanted rhythm. You know, he yeah, loved yeah. rhythm. Mm-hmm. He loved r- rhythm and um, and percussion. And he said, when he was writing Big Spender, he said, I'm going to give him rhythm mm-hmm. and percussion. And he said, that way he can't, he can't. Um, uh, distort it with his query. He yeah, has to stick to, stick to the to rhythm. The rhythm yeah. And of course, Fosse loved yeah, that yeah. rhythm. And mm-hmm. and again, that's a, you know one of his classic numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I first encountered this show through uh, the song Rhythm of Life. We did it at a music theater camp. Daddy started out in San Francisco tooting on his trumpet loud and mean. Suddenly a voice said, go forth, Daddy. Spread the picture on a wider screen. And the voice Daddy, said, Daddy, there's a million pigeons go, waiting to be hooked on go, new religions. Daddy, Hit the road, Daddy, leave your common-law wife. Spread the religion of the rhythm of life. And the rhythm of life is a powerful beat. Puts a tingle in your fingers and a tingle in your feet. Rhythm in your bedroom, rhythm in the street. Yes, the rhythm of life is a powerful beat. And the rhythm of life is a powerful beat. Puts a tingle in your fingers and a tingle in your feet. Rhythm in your bedroom, rhythm in the street. Yes, the rhythm of life is a powerful in your feet. And the rhythm of life is a powerful I do remember sort of thinking, what is this show? <laughs> That's this, this song. Because it is, and it's also a funny mo- moment because it's Sammy Davis Jr. in the movie, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a really unusual scene. <laughs> In a in a movie full of un, in a play full of unusual scenes to have this this church that they go to and they do this dance and then it's never really 
referenced again. This is like a this is like a moment from a a twenties musical where sure. pe- just it's a good number. Let's just throw it in. It doesn't right. make an, it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. It's a good number. Let's yeah. throw it in. Yeah, uh, that's sort of what rhythm of life has always been. Yeah. it doesn't totally make sense. There was something. There was another number in that slot call, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's in the book, um, but they. Um, it wasn't working, and Fosse had to go to New York. They were in Detroit uh, during the tryout, and Fosse had to go to New York for a couple of days. And while he was gone, Cy Coleman and Dorothy Fields came up with Rhythm of Life, mm-hmm. and he wrote this kind of Bach um, counterpunction. Mm. I pardon my music, my sure. lack of musical knowledge, but he wrote this kind of interweaving. Um, uh, uh, melody that she then kind of built on um, uh, kind of uh, layer by layer yeah. and then um, all the lines kind of came together and um, Fosse kind of mirrored the lyrics and the music in his staging he'd had small groups doing things in opposition then bringing them all together um, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't. Make, and in the movie, you know, they say this is uh, this is the Church of the Month Club. Right. I'm on a, I'm on mailing list. The right. Church of the, the Month Church Club. The Month this Club. is the, yeah. um, which is kind of funny. And yeah. the other thing that's interesting, funny about it, you know, Sweet Charity was also the movie was um, um, a victim of of shifting tastes. Oh yes, the it's so interesting. So yeah, yeah. In early 1966, when when Sweet Charity opened on Broadway, it was right kind of at the crest of what was going on in the culture. Yeah. Uh, we were still into beatnik culture. Yeah. Beatnik culture was shading into the hippie movement, right. but not yet. So the rhythm of life had a kind of beatnik cool yeah. element to it. Uh, also, Sweet Charity was one of the first musicals to have electric instruments, yeah. electronic mm-hmm. instruments yeah, in the yeah. orchestra pit. Um but by the time the movie came out, three years later, the culture had had moved on. Yeah, and um, rhythm of life was given this kind of flower power, hippy dippy um, um, setting. That yeah, you know, Sammy it. Davis Jr. is fabulous. Oh, yeah, I he's, lo- great. he's great. Yeah, um, and the number is a standalone number mm-hmm. is great. Yeah, but it no. In, in terms of film, it kind of reminds me of um, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Where they show up at Camelot, and then there's that big dance number, and then they go, "Actually, we're not going to go to Camelot," yeah. and they kind of move around. It is that same sort of thing. It was like, "Here we are. We walk in, big dance number, then we walk out." And we just like, "There it is. We're just going to leave that there behind, <laughs> and it's great." <laughs> you just sort yeah. of move away from it, and we never talk about it again. Um, though the Church of the Month Club's a pretty good joke. That is, I will have that to is say. a pretty good joke. Um, so the but so in terms of the movie's influence. Um, Fosse was, you know, it was a big flop. The movie was a yeah. huge flop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's interesting, you know, the interesting thing about the movie A well-reviewed is, flop, though, correct? Wasn't well, it? Yeah. The, um, um, the, film, the film was given advanced screenings for yeah. the trade press, Variety and Hollywood Reporter and all the L.A. papers in early 1969. And they, they reviewed it with reviews that Fosse's mother could have written. You know, Variety's headline was something like, Sweet Charity, one of the all-time greats. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, people said Fosse was the greatest director of movie musicals since Busby Berkeley. Yeah. Shirley MacLaine, um, make room on your shelf for your Academy Award that you're going to get at the end of the year. Then the movie rolled out in uh, reserve seat engagements on the East Coast, and the East Coast critics really uh, trounced the mm-hmm. film and the national the national news magazines like Time and Newsweek um, didn't like the film and Fosse was really criticized for the what somebody referred to as the his psychedelic photography yeah um, which is a funny because I, yeah. I wouldn't have said that I never you I know. don't like the psychedelic yeah. photography so all of the all of the the filmic tricks that he used and fast. Uh, um, Quick cuts, freeze frames, speeding up the action, yeah. things like that. Uh, he was really criticized for that, and um, um, and the film was a you know the film was a a, a, a very big flop. I they uh, Universal um, pulled it from its reserve seat engagements and just sent it out um, uh, for continuous 
performances, mm. um, and they cut about twenty minutes from the film without right. Fosse's without Fosse's right. uh, um, uh, input. They cut out the overture. They eliminated the um, the um, intermission. They cut some scenes or snippets of scenes. They didn't cut any of the musical numbers, right. which I think is a tribute to Fosse's yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've understood the value of those. They made some internal cuts in The Rhythm of Life and I Love to Cry at Weddings. Mm. But you'd be hard-pressed to find to them if you, yeah. if you went. Um, and I think that's the, that's the version I saw mm-hmm. as a teenager in northeastern Oklahoma mm-hmm. when it finally made it there. They also came up with this um, ad campaign to stress, as Variety called it, the prosty angle. Yeah. To intimate that Charity and the ballroom dancers were prostitutes. But it was still rated G. It was still rated that G, with the, a big the, G right. on the poster. That was, I mean, Fosse's great quote you have in the book is that how can you make a G-rated movie about a prostitute? A prostitute. Which is just, yes, is you 100% know. true. I so mean, they had these, the, the, the lines on the ads were like, swingers all, yeah. men were their business, they dig the way they live. Yeah. Rated G. Rated G. Rated G. Right. So, um, but... (laughs) The ad campaign was PG, but the movie was true. (laughs) So, um, so the movie uh, was a big flop and it really stymied Fosse's career. I mean, it really did. Mm -hmm. Um, And he really had to fight to get his next film. And of course, his next film was Cabaret. Yeah. Cabaret is a movie with not an ounce of fat on it. Many of the techniques and the stylistic flourishes that Fosse used in Cabaret, he also used in Sweet Charity. Yeah. But in Cabaret, they were more disciplined. Mm-hmm. They were used judiciously. Um, he had a fantastic screenplay oh, by Jay yeah, Allen, Allen yeah. and, and Hugh Wheeler. That's a whole other story. Right. Um, and there it worked. And Fosse was even quoted as saying, he said, I filmed Cabaret the same way I filmed Sweet Charity. Mm-hmm. Now they like it. Back then they didn't like it. So I always say Sweet Charity was the movie Fosse had to make mm-hmm. before he could make Cabaret. Well, and it's, it, I mean, partially it, that is true. He filmed them both the same way, but it is also subject matter related. I mean, that style of filmmaking suits Cabaret yeah. and also Lenny and and all that jazz right. much more than it suits yeah. uh, Sweet Charity. Again, I think the the material was caught in a time warp. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, uh, there's an interesting thing that I found. I think I put this in the book. Um, the end of the movie, uh, Charity is is meets some flower yeah. children, some flower right. children in right. Central Park, and they give her you know love, peace. Mm-hmm. And there was a note in the studio note. These are not to be dirty hippies. We mm-hmm. want them to be clean cut, mm-hmm. clean cut flower power hippies. So there in, you know, in that one line, mm-hmm. you see the dichotomy. And so he was, he was, he was right at the, you know, 1972 yeah. was like the Fosse year. Oh, yeah. He was the Lin-Manuel Miranda of show business. Well, even more so, year. as if he's famously one, the only, per- and it'll never, it, I don't That'll, know if it could happen I can't again, imagine that, that you win Tony's happening. for direct, to, to, directing Tony, Oscar, and Emmy in the same in year. In the same year. Right. In the same year. Is, is, is unthinkable. Just, I can't imagine unthinkable. anyone ever doing that again. Yeah. But the 70s also were, you know, that was a, 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 we look on it now as a kind of golden age of independent, independent-minded directors directing the kind of hard-hitting material that they wanted to direct. People like Martin Scorsese and Francis yeah. Ford Coppola mm-hmm. and William Friedkin and so forth. Um, and Fosse was right there. Yeah. And so that that whole era was very welcoming to mm-hmm. his sensibility. Yeah, and uh, I don't think I don't think Fosse's ever really gotten his due as a film director. And I know that sounds strange because he won an Academy Award for right. directing Cabaret, and yeah. he had some successes with that and and mm-hmm. all that jazz and Lenny. But I don't think he's ever gotten the credit he deserves for. The, his influential use of the camera in terms of filming dance, mm-hmm. presenting dance on screen, uh, all that jazz is a precursor to an entire era of MTV music videos. Sure. The first six minutes of all that jazz oh, yeah. is basically the template yeah. for MTV, which arrived two years later. Yeah. Um, um, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, oh, yes. Madonna, yeah, yeah. Paula Abdul, Pat Benatar—you yeah. on and on and on. They based their they based their music videos on the choreography, the stylistic approaches, the camera movement that Fosse had established in movies like 
uh, Sweet Charity Cabaret and especially well, and all his that performance in, in The Little Prince. I mean, famously is as the snake is something that Michael Jackson. You can see like, the you one, can it's see one to one comparison. You can see the 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 uh, the roots of the moonwalk. Yeah, absolutely. Of his moonwalk. Yeah, there. it's all it's all and the hats and the thing. It's all yeah. right there. It's 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 highly evident. Yeah. So the book is big deal, and and is in and, paperback. And mention the um, the subtitle. The su- oh yeah, Bob Fosse and Dance in the American Musical Whee! by Kevin Winkler, and it is available in paperback now. By the time this comes out. Uh, and you should read it. I read it. I loved it. I reread part of it again the other day just for this interview and, and re- remembered things from it. Um, yeah. And so, and you have, uh, where else can people find you online? Are you on? I'm on Facebook. You have a Huff, Huffington Post page uh, on their website. Yeah, and I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to put a website together. If you know anybody who could help me put a website sure. together, let me know because yeah, yeah, I'm, trying, I'm <laughs> trying to do that. Oh, it's so difficult. Uh, <laughs> It is so difficult. Thank you so much, Kevin. This, this is a wonderful great. conversation. Yes, that, absolutely. We could talk about Fosse all day long. Yeah. But I have to catch a train. Okay. Um, so thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Right. Thank you. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at Unknown Penguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Kevin Winkler for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Oh,